All right, welcome to the conversation on the TYT network. Today, we're gonna have T.Y. Chang, our investigative reporter at TYT Investigates, join us to talk about something that he cares deeply about that's very important in the news. Normally, his beat is environmental issues and money and politics, but there's a rise in anti-Asian crime, and we wanna talk about that. T.Y., first, of course, welcome back to the show. But secondly, can you tell us, for the folks who are not familiar with what's going on in Northern California, why there's so much concern now? Well, there have been a number of vicious assaults and in fact murders of elderly Asians who were just literally walking down the street. I mean, it started with an 89 year old grandmother set on fire in New York City, an 84 year old grandfather who was shoved to the ground and killed. Another Asian American man in his 60s was sliced across the face on the subway in New York City. And also in New York City, Chinatown, there was a stabbing. The guy survived, he barely survived. And then in California, you know, you have these attacks and you've had some 3,000 assaults on Asian Americans in the last year, which is a huge increase as a result, probably because of the pandemic. and. And primarily, I think, because the President of the United States at the time, the most powerful man in the whole world, kept repeatedly saying China virus and even mocked the Chinese and Asian Americans by saying Kung Flu virus. And that has an impact when you, when the President of the United States is saying things like that, then everybody thinks it's okay, it's okay to be a racist. And we've seen that kind of attitude permeate in this country. and. This country has a race problem. There's a lot of racism and among a lot of races toward each other, including Asians toward others and everybody else toward us. And so you combine that with a president saying something like that with a race problem in this country. And then the the coronavirus did start in China and some ignorant people will think, well, that means every Asian person that's carrying the virus or caused it. Although viruses pop up all over the world. You know, and SARS started in this country in a pig farm in North Carolina. So that's the reason why it's happening. But there's been a long history of racism against Asians. We're always the other people. And it's combined now where we're sort of like the model minority so that we, that some white people look at us as a people of color, but people of color look at us as sort of like these kind of wannabe white people. So we're sort of caught in between sometimes. The good news is, though, that I don't think that's true among most of the young people. And the Pew Institute said that two thirds of millennials are not racist, sexist, or homophobic. So we can only hope that maybe the future will be a little bit better. So, Tiwa, I know there's some facts to back you back up what you're saying. Obviously, this 31% increase in anti-Asian racist slurs and jokes since the coronavirus began. And by the way, if we're looking at uh, who's spreading the virus the most? That is clearly us, all of us Americans. Uh, it's not. Yes, it started in China, but uh, but they got it under control very quickly. Whereas we let it rage and rage and rage, and unfortunately, we spread it to other countries as well. We had the worst number of cases, worst number of deaths in America than any, obviously, than any other country. Uh, by the way, you said SARS started here. Uh, so did the Spanish flu. 
Uh, ironically, Spain was the only one addressing it, so people heard it was coming from Spain. Everybody else was doing censorship. It actually started in uh, with American soldiers in Kansas. So we've been through this before, and there's a lot of propaganda that goes along with it. But in this case, the uh, some of the assailants, whether it's Northern California or New York, uh, where the, most of the cases are, as you as you uh, gave several examples of, um, are are of different races, different motivations. It appears. Uh, one of the worst attackers who seems to have mental health issues. So how sure are we that it's related uh, to the epidemic and, and how Trump uh, riled people up against Asians within that pandemic? Because I think the president set an attitude for the whole country, a country that has a race problem and has had a long history of anti-Asian racism. From the Exclusion Act in 1882 against Chinese to the internment of Japanese Americans, to the killing of Vincent Chen. My own daughter has experienced it in her public school in New York City, where a couple of years ago, every day, somebody was calling her name. To the point where I told the principal, I gave her permission to punch them out. So this is wow. something that when you have a president setting something up like that, you establish a president that says it's okay to be racist. And I think he established that for the country, and he said it very often. My dog apparently agrees. <laughs> anyway, but the, so I, I think when you say that, for example, oh, that's a deranged person. Well, what what other person stabs an old man in the back? And then the person who stabbed the the uh, the man in New York City in in Chinatown said that I didn't like the way he looked at me, which meant he had to look at his face if he didn't like the way he looked at him. So if somebody's deranged and your president is saying, and our, at the time our president was saying, oh, Kung Fu virus, hey, it's okay to mock Asians. You establish a precedent, you establish an atmosphere that says, hey, it's okay to attack an Asian. So what? It's no big deal. And then somebody else who's a little crazy will carry that a little further. Yes, most of the attacks have been verbal, and but a good percentage, it's now roughly nearly 10% have become physical assaults. And we have a number of people, elderly people been killed. In San Francisco, it was a 91-year-old, or it was Oakland, 91-year-old man, uh, man shoved from behind. For what? I mean, who does that? Yeah. I mean, you've got to assume somebody's already a little bit deranged. But where did that deranged come from? Why did you pick an Asian old man? Why aren't there all old people being attacked? And there's a reason for that. The reason is the pandemic. People are probably a little crazy from the pandemic. But also because the president kept saying repeatedly, China virus, Kung Fu virus. That has an effect on people. It says, hey, it's okay. They're not, and then he even said, he made a statement, oh, Asian Americans are good, they're on our side. Well, wait, our side, meaning we're not part of America? That's a key issue here. Asians are not seen as being American. I was born and raised in New York City. Can't tell you how many times people say, where are you from? I say, New York. They say, no, where are you really from? And then I asked them, I said, well, where are you from? Well, I'm I'm from New York. I don't know no, where you're from. You don't look like a Native American to me. You're somewhere along the line, you're from somewhere. But the, for Asians, it's, it's never good enough. I met, uh, I did a story with a, a Chinese American woman in Denver who is a sixth generation Chinese American whose great, great, great grandfather had worked on the Transcontinental Railroad. And her entire life growing up in Denver, she was asked, where are you really from? That's a problem, it's a problem of education. People don't learn in history, in American history about 
to get contributions made. Without the transcontinental railroad built by Chinese workers over the Sierra Nevada, Irish and African American workers in the East, there would be no America. The economy would never have grown. It would never have united the country. That's not taught in school. I didn't learn that in high school. My kids have not learned a lot about that yet. And certainly there's very little, well, there's some talk about the Chinese Exclusion Act in my kids' school because they're a progressive school, one of them anyway. But you don't learn yeah. about, I didn't learn about the Japanese American internment until I got to college. And one of my college suite mates, his parents had been interned in World War II. Right. You know, they were loyal Americans. So there's a whole history there that has to be put into a into context when you talk about these things. Right, and uh, almost no one knows that there's only been one um, race or ethnicity or nationality that has ever been banned completely from America, and it was the Chinese. Um, so uh, we were that was the first. we were not the only ones. We were the first. We were the right, first right. to be. To be the ban from the U.S., the Chinese Exclusion Act of 1882, which was a result of a depression in the West Coast, and after the 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 Chinese workers built the railroads, because of the depression, they had to have a scapegoat. And right now, there is an issue that's going to have to be addressed that will every Asian American will face. And that is, as the U.S. and the China, two superpowers, begin to compete, the more they compete the more pressure there will be in this country and the more racism there will be unless it's addressed where Asian Americans are viewed as Americans. Yeah, so and by the way, my son got the same thing. My wife is from Taiwan, she's ethnically Chinese. And some kid right before the lockdown began about a year ago, instantly in a school asked them, hey, I hear the Chinese eat bats and that's why we all got the disease. So it just spreads like wildfire. And then it does lead to a thing called stochastic terrorism. Whereas people, Trump doesn't say go attack you know, this specific person. He just says, you know, generally blames all Asians for it. And then people do attacks, especially the ones who are unbalanced. So that's why that the language is so important. But we only have a minute left to you. Real quick, what are some folks doing to fight back against this? Whether it's actors or anyone else that, that, that are leading the movement in this case? Well, one of the most important things is to be able to unite with other Americans and fight racism overall. Not just for Asians, but against the, in the Black Lives Matter. In New York City, for example, during the summer, when I was in New York City, when I watched the Black Lives Matter marches, what gave me the most encouragement is I saw huge numbers of black people, white people, Asians and Latinos, and most of them young. And it wasn't just small, like one or two, it was like huge groups of that. And I think that's something that has to be considered that we need to fight racism overall in this country. And we need to view each other as human beings. And I hopefully, the entertainment media is a critical part of this too, is that too many of these shows like Bling Empire show that every Asian is super rich or something. And we have to show Asian Americans as people, not you know, not all Kung Fu experts, not all super rich people, just human beings. Like the Netflix movie, the half of it was a good movie that, and Farewell, we just show as, as we are as human beings. And that's what we need to see more in the entertainment field too. All right, T.Y. Chang, obviously, uh, uh, cares a lot about this and has worked on this and uh, is a great investigative reporter. Uh, Tiwa, thank you so much for joining us and, and spreading the message about this issue today. 
All right, thanks, Jake. Take care. All right, you too. All right, back on the conversation. We've got a great guest for you guys on a hot topic right now. Near attendance, should she be confirmed or not? The Biden administration is fighting their guts out, in the words of Biden's chief of staff, Ron Klain, for her. Joining us now is Jeff Cohen. He's the co founder of rootsaction.org, and they launched nohoneymoon.org. So you get the sense of what that's all about for the Biden administration. Jeff's a wonderful progressive. Uh, we actually might slightly disagree on the tandem issue, so that's fun. Uh, but uh, but let's do it first, Jeff. I want people to know uh, why you don't want near a tandem confirmed. Uh, I could give you a lot of reasons. It, none of them have anything to do with mean tweets or name calling. That's the hypocritical Republican complaint. Our complaint is is simple. Uh, near a tandem has got these corporate conflicts of interest. She's one of the consummate fundraisers from big corporations. The Center for American Progress was funded by these big corporations to stand up and fight progressives. To tell through the media, she's always on MSNBC and CNN, why Medicare for all is unworkable, unrealistic, not affordable. Why a $15 minimum wage is unworkable, not affordable. and. You know, she's done the bidding of her donors. You know as well as me who the donors are. It's Wall Street, it's high tech, it's health insurance companies, it's Walmart, it's military contractors like Northrop Grumman and Lockheed Martin. So Nira Tandon has got conflicts of interest because the job at OMB, Office of Management and Budget Director, she oversees, she would oversee the regulatory processes of the whole federal government. So what's shocking to me, Jank, my final comment is that not a single Democrat in the Senate at these hearings has raised the issue of corporate conflict of interest. Instead, we've had all this crap about the nasty tweets from Republicans. Had this these hearings been in the US House, I wish the US House instead of the Senate were in charge of advice and consent for nominees coming out of the White House. Because members of the squad would have been pointing out all these conflicts of interest involving Nira Tandon. Well, I mean, then Jeff, that's really the heart of the problem and the cancer in American government, which is that the corporate donors rule everything. And they rule everything so much that we're struggling to find one US Senator who would question Nira Tandon. On the core issue of the corporate conflicts yeah. of interest, right? Yeah. And so you got to get lucky that Bernie's on a committee in order to get a question, right? right. Or maybe Warren. But you're going to max out pretty soon. And 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 so look, that's why just Democrats don't take corporate campaign money. That's the only litmus test we had when we found a just Democrats. And man, it's worked brilliantly. I've got to be honest, right? And that's why they're fighters. Look at what Ro Khanna did in organizing that letter on $15 minimum wage. Yep. So, but but back to near attendance. So, unfortunately, people don't do nuance online, right? So, I think there's one reason to to confirm near attendance. People then assume, oh, Jake likes near attendance sports. No, I agree with everything Jeff is saying about the substance of near attendance, 100%. Okay, I just want that to be absolutely clear. There's no question that that's her record. It's not a matter of agreement or disagreement. It's just a fact, 
right? That's what she has done. And so, but Jeff, I'm really concerned that if that the message that's gonna be sent in Washington is never be critical of anyone in power. Remember what happened in Irritanda. See, they're not gonna learn the lesson because nobody even challenged her on the corporate stuff. They're not gonna learn the lesson of, hey, don't be mean to progressives or hey, don't sell out to corporations. They're never ever gonna learn that lesson. Instead, if Neera Tandon's nomination goes down, everyone in Washington is gonna say, that's it. Never criticize the US Senator because it'll end your career. Do you see why I'm really concerned about that precedent? Yeah, except that if progressives joined Roots Action and made more noise, we would be having real criticism of Neera Tandon getting into the debate. It's because of rootsaction.org and nohoneymoon.org that, that the other part of why, the more serious part of why Tandon should be opposed, the corporate corruption, the corporate conflicts of interest has been heard at all. And I'm one who believes that it's only when progressives make demands that we win anything out of the beltway. And, and, and a good example is uh, Michelle Flournoy. I mean, Roots Action and Common and um, Code Pink, we were yelling when it looked like Michelle Flournoy was definitely, according to press reports, gonna be the Secretary of Defense. She's an ideological militarist. We yelled and screamed, some good reporters at the New York Times and Wall Street Journal dug up her conflicts of interest with military contractors. And instead, Team Biden chose General Lloyd Austin. He's not a peacenik. But he's not an ideological militarist like Michelle Flournoy. It's because Greenpeace and environmental groups yelled when it looked like Ernest Moniz from the Obama administration, who was so tied to nuclear power and oil and gas, it looked like he was gonna be in the cabinet and, and Greenpeace and others were yelling. And it's because of that, that we have now uh, former Governor Jennifer Granholm is the Secretary of Energy, and she supported Standing Rock protesters. So I could give you a list. Uh, it's only because we yelled and screamed about the real reasons, Jake. I agree with you. Republicans are hypocritical about tweets when they've apologized for Trump for five years. But there are real reasons to oppose a lot of Team Biden's nominees. And only if we oppose these nominees will we get anywhere. And Rahm Emanuel is coming up next. I mean, they want to put Rahm Emanuel as an ambassador, and Roots Action will be in that fight against Rahm Emanuel, another guy whose whole career has been fighting the Democratic left. So Anna's going to be super mad at me because <laughs> we had a debate about this, and I still walked out thinking she should be confirmed on on principle, but you you swung me, and so she'll be. Pretty furious about that, um, but anyway, it, Jeff, I, it's your point about us being louder in opposing her on the right stuff is yes. really good um, and and wins the day because if, if maybe if I if I had joined Bernie and obviously I couldn't do it on my own and and joined you guys and the entire progressive movement joined together to say. We are not opposing Neera Tandon based on mean tweets. We are opposing her based on corporate conflicts of interest. That maybe, just maybe, we could have gotten the press to pay attention to her, See, to that situation. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, we've tried to get other groups to speak out 
against Neeratanda to join us. We feel a little bit isolated, which is why the discussion has been too much on mean tweets and not enough on the corporate conflicts of interest. But I mean, in my view, the key issue is what's the role of progressive activism? You know, in the 30s and the 1960s, which is when we had these big leaps forward, structural reforms, it's because independent progressive movements did not make their strategy with the Democrats in the White House or the Democrats on Capitol Hill. They pushed and pushed and pushed. Now, we progressives worked our ass off to defeat Trump. Roots Action was active in Michigan, in Wisconsin. We were active in Arizona. All the other grassroots activist groups defeated Trump in various states, especially Georgia. We have a right to make demands of the Biden administration. Personnel is policy. And it's scary to me that they've been unwilling to fight for $15 minimum wage, unwilling to fight to get rid of the Jim Crow filibuster, unwilling to fight for student debt to be canceled in tens of thousands of dollars. But they're fighting for near a tandem. I mean, that's why, Jake, I think you're right that you, you know, when the corporate Democrats are fighting for near attended, but not fighting for these others, forget about Republican hypocrisy and let's talk about the real reasons, the corporate conflicts of interest that Tandon should be opposed on. So I want to ask you about that in a second, but I first real quick set of facts. By the way, we did a poll on should Nira Tanner be confirmed. I made a strong case that she should be based on the precedent I explained earlier. Apparently not nearly strong enough, over 1500 votes, so a lot of people participated. 92 to eight, your position won, Jeff. So that was back when Anna and I debated. So I created this show, but the audience decides. Right, yeah. and ninety-two percent of them said, "No, Jenk, you're wrong. Anna's right, and Jeff is right." So God bless, and so that's great. And look, we asked the audience to push Bernie and other legislators to include minimum wage in this COVID relief plan, yeah. and that worked. And so you guys at RootsAction.org have been doing amazing work on pushing the Biden administration, and a lot of that has worked. And I want the audience to just understand one thing that Jeff said: getting Jennifer Grant home, who was a co-host of ours at Current TV and is a person with good intent and has a decent track record as opposed to the other candidate that was possible is a giant win, giant right. win. So right. everybody owes rootsaction.org a thank you note for that. And green, no, Greenpeace, environmental groups, look, power concedes nothing without a demand. It never has, it never will. So what I'm liking is that progressives are saying, look, we put Biden in the White House, we defeated Trump. And if the Democrats are not gonna lose in 2022, as they did two years after President Bill Clinton took office, two years after Obama took office, they have to deliver for working class people, for people of color, for young activists and young voters, if they don't deliver the Republicans will come storming back. So we're trying to protect Team Biden from itself when we make these demands. Yeah, absolutely. Jeff Cohen from rootsaction.org and everybody check out nohoneymoon.org to participate in all this. Thank you, Jeff, appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. it's great to be with you, Jake.